I firmly believe that in a lot of ways. The website is like never ending. When you do a project, you're literally just guessing what's clicking with customers. You're just determining a copy. You're trying to do a strategy. You're thinking through it a little bit. So we started at like 900 bucks a month for unlimited whatever you want. I remember I shared it on the Webflow Facebook group and I got ripped to shreds. People were just like, this is impossible. How are you doing this? And it was true. It was kind of impossible. Hello, and welcome to episode 68 of Webflow. I'm your host, Jack, your failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Keith Armstrong. In the About section of his LinkedIn, it simply says a Canadian website developer with a stubborn drive to make the web better. This undersells Keith dramatically, in my opinion. He's the founder of FlowSparrow, a subscription-based Webflow service. He's been involved with FlowParty, he shares wisdom on Twitter live streams. He's had a newsletter for a while called The Div Dive. He's keen to help others. And he goes the extra mile as well. Like he's really, really helpful in people's DMs. I've only heard good things about him. And on top of all of that, he's just started Remote Supply, a clothing brand with a 90s feel. He's got cool caps. He's got plenty of stuff coming as you're about to hear. But naturally, no road is perfectly straight. The failures that we'll discuss in this episode are not letting go of control and trusting team members, subscription versus project-based models, and burnout through side projects. So embrace and learn from failure in episode 68 of Webflow with Keith Armstrong. Keith, welcome to the Webflow podcast. Dude, so excited to be talking with you today. I've been a huge fan of the podcast for a while, and I appreciate you uh, inviting me on. Thank you for the intro as well. Very kind. Hey, I had to give you a great intro because you are a great guy. And I'm very excited to speak to you as someone that was doing a podcast as well, someone that's in the Webflow space. I feel like there's a lot of alignment between us, and it's ridiculous that it's the first time that we're chatting. But hey, first time for everything. Let us begin by talking about your relationship with failure, because I think that's a really interesting place to start. What is your relationship with failure? Yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting one. I think like, you know, earlier in my life I was very against it. Like I was very hesitant to accepting failure. You know, like I would I would get really upset when things didn't go my way or whatever. But over time I really started to grow a really good relationship with failure, just noticing that you know, failures are just like little tidbits of information on where you can kind of direct yourself after, you know, like it just reveals things about where you should go next and how to improve. So I, I kind of learned to embrace it over time. And now I'm just actually a fan of failure. Like I'm down to fail. fail failure to me is just a, a just a great experience. And I like learning from failures as much as possible. So awesome i feel like that's really important for anyone that's listening who's like i don't want to fail well if you don't want to fail that's a little bit like saying i don't really want to go outside my comfort zone which to be honest that's where the rubber hits the road in my opinion you know when you when you're outside your comfort zone that's when you're going to grow your comfort zone comfort zone is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and you can take on more and more and kind of fulfill your potential as a human being on this rock as we go around the sun so I added a bit there, but basically I completely agree. I'm so glad that you feel the same. I feel like the most successful people have the most interesting failures and I can't help feeling that, you know, that's not a coincidence. So 
let us talk a little bit about how you came into Flow Sparrow because you've had a really interesting journey to get to where you are now. I know we're going to dig in to all of the all of the kind of crevices of that journey a little bit, but can you just give us a high level overview as to as to you know how you got to Flow Sparrow? Yeah, for sure. I'll give you a quick background and just how I got to like website development, and then I'll dig into Webflow specifically. So I grew up in like a small town just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, like very north, very cold. Everybody I grew up with went into construction. I did the exact same thing. Went to college for it. I was working like HVAC and I was like working on rooftops and fixing stuff in like minus 40 degrees Celsius. Like terrible. I hated it. So like I was doing that for a long time and I really just like wanted some freedom. Like I had a buddy of mine that just like worked from home and was chilling and I was like, okay, how do I do this? I just want to figure that out first. So I did literally everything I could possibly do on the creative front. Like I would make posters for shows. I used to like DJ a lot. So I would like work with companies to like promote shows and make a little money there. I would do some social media for these companies, make some money. Like, and then I would do some like videos. I would chop stuff up. Like I would just do whatever I possibly could to make some money in it on my downtime. I was still working the construction job during the day. But then I, I really wanted to make it like a full-time gig. So I just worked my way up, got better at things. And then ended up getting a job at like a marketing agency that was remote, fully remote, based in the States. And within that, I was just project managing a bunch of marketing stuff. And a lot of that involved website stuff, mostly on WordPress. We were doing a lot of retainer-based work with these companies. So we would just be kind of like iterating and creating landing pages and doing a lot of stuff to try to drive customers to the clients. So I was doing that for a long time. And then I kind of, you know, got let go from that job because of COVID. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know what I want to do. I was kind of like hit a point where I feel like a lot of people did during COVID where they're like, I don't really know what to do with myself. A lot of people got let go. It was a weird time. So I was like, okay, I just want to try something new. And I actually just was like paying attention to Webflow. Uh, I can't remember where I first saw it, but I think a big inspiration for me was a, a fellow named Connor Finlayson. He was, he's like from New Zealand and he was making like a freelancer marketplace called the Unicorn Factory. And I saw what he was doing with Webflow and he was like connecting Airtables, Apier, a bunch of stuff, member stack. And I was like, oh, this is super cool. So I, I like kind of dove in from that and I just started trying to build stuff myself. Like I tried to build like a freelancer marketplace for myself. I tried to build some landing pages and I started just doing Upwork stuff on Webflow and failing horribly on a lot of projects. <laughs> it was like, I just didn't know, understand classes or I wasn't a dev at heart, like a de designer background, I guess. So I was just like failing a lot and working with clients and just barely making any money, but I made enough to like survive and stay afloat. But then I got a little bit better, started working with bigger companies on like a retainer basis as a freelancer. And then around like 2021, about a year after using Webflow, I was like, okay, I kind of want to start an agency. And, you know, I was just kind of trying to figure out how to make like something a little bit different rather than just a basic agency. And I leaned into my like experience working with people long term and kind of dove into the subscription retainer based productized service, whatever you want to call it, model with Flow Sparrow because it was kind of new at the time and or new to me at the time. And then I got some friends together, my two partners in Flow Sparrow, Brett and Omar. And yeah, we just launched it and we started and it was 
yeah, November 2021, and we started 900 bucks a month or something. It was super cheap. We barely made any money, but worked our way up, and we're here now. So, Wow. And just before I ask you about everything you've just said, because there's so <laughs> many interesting parts of that, where are you now, and where are you going? Oh, that's a good one. I think right now we're at a really good place, just in Flow Sparrow. I'm starting to kind of be able to let go a lot of things. We hired recently like a really good designer developer. Her name's Carmen. She's amazing. And yeah, we're getting to a really good groove and things are shipping really quickly. Everybody's kind of like delivering really good work and that makes me really happy. And our client base just keeps going up. So that's really good. That's where we're at now. In the future, I really want to like improve this, double down on this type of model and just become a really good provider to startups who want their website to perform and make the money while looking pretty in the process. Is your design any good? Is that the right color? Is that copy any good for conversions? If only there was a tool to help you answer these questions. One tool built to test Webflow sites for all. Enter OptiBase, the A-B testing tool for Webflowers. Test anything you can think of. Colors, layouts, buttons, layouts, buttons. No credit card needed. Sign up today by clicking the link in the show notes. Out now for Webflowers everywhere. Back to the episode. that way around because i think that's an important thing to highlight that you know you i think a lot of web flowers are like i want to make something look beautiful and it's not to say that that is a bad thing to try and aim for it's just do not overlook how efficient a website is and what the business goals of your client are i'm speaking to myself while i'm saying this out loud because this is something that when i first started using webflow i was like i want a unicorn to flow through the screen and stuff and yeah just thinking about how whatever design decisions and development decisions you make actually affect the performance of the website for your client. Speak the language of business in the words of Christo. Important just to highlight that. I don't even know if you realized you were saying that as you said that, but the order of which you said that I think is really important to highlight. Okay, let's backtrack. So started in construction, learned how to build stuff there, but not in the way that you're now doing. And then you were like, I want to be indoors because it's cold out here in Edmonton. And that's kind of how you were like looking at online stuff. It's interesting that you kind of learned the ropes of, it sounds like marketing, social media, you were thinking about SEO and kind of coming into the Webflow space from that background. Because I think a lot of the time people seem to come into Webflow from all different angles, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but I just think the kind of fundamentals of, of like, psychology of pricing and all of that stuff you kind of already maybe covered a little bit from your marketing background and then you came into to webflow with a little bit of a digital acumen i guess you could describe it as and then you were like okay let's start on upwork because that's i think a lot of people overlook upwork it's actually an amazing place to cut your teeth it's not necessarily the place well i mean i know people have done this actually jamie dowis for example she started on upwork and then got bigger and bigger clients and actually had a whole 
agency kind of running through Upwork. So it's not to say that you can't have larger clients through Upwork, but I have, I do know that if you're starting out there, it's very, very hard to, you know, get, get to the top of the algorithm as it were. And it sounds like, you know, you, you had difficulties there because you were like learning it while doing it and trying to, yeah, get, get clients through that. And then once you had enough momentum and confidence, you were like, right, I want to start an agency after seeing Connor Finlayson do his stuff. You were getting more and more confident. And that's where Flow Sparrow launched, breaking even, kind of like, is this whole subscription-based thing a fad? What am I doing? Is this worth it? Trying to work out how tickets work, doing the work while also trying to work on the business. And now you're at a point where you've got momentum starting to hire and you can kind of go above from just the client work to thinking about, okay, where are we at? How can we build? What does our systems and processes look like? And all of that stuff. Have I heard, did I get that in the right order? Is that kind of right? Yeah, that's 100% correct. And I just want to note that like throughout that process, there was a lot of little failures, actually like a ton of failures. And early on, they bothered me a lot. But I think the failures started to educate like the direction over time and it got easier and easier to decide where I wanted to go. So I just want to tie that back in because I think that's important is like there was tons of failure in that. Like nothing clicked until I started paying attention to those failures and moving on to the next. You'd be a great guest. (laughs) Beautiful point there, Keith. Okay, so there wasn't necessarily some master plan. I think sometimes we look back add the dots and be like, well, obviously this connected to this and this was a natural progression and da, 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 da. And actually it sounds like maybe you were just following your nose and kind of just going with the current of life to use a very hippie phrase that I can just see my dad rolling his eyes at. But you know, this, that you, you were trying to work it out as you went along and every little failure gave you a data point to either double down and get better at something that you needed to learn in order to get past that mistake or failure or blocker or whatever and uh also maybe shoved you in the direction that you you eventually are at now uh and seem very happy and content with with where you're at yeah yeah i think if i would have like just decided on a plan and stuck with it i would have been like a dj or something like i wouldn't have ended up where i'm at right now and while that was fun i don't think that was where i was supposed to be so like because of all the little things that happened, I just kind of ended up where I should have been, which I I feel like I'm finally just at that point right now. I mean, I guess though, like, you know, construction gave you probably a really good skill set in kind of like process, importance of working in a team, putting in the hours, and then, you know, DJ stuff. I think people might think, oh, these skill sets are so random. Like, why would you, why are you doing Webflow Agency or whatever? But actually like, you know, timing like orchestrating a team like all of that type of stuff from you know getting a whole whole room to bounce up and down at the right time that's hard that's hard to do and that's effectively what you're doing with an agency so I don't know it seems like you might be like oh these are kind of disparate things but actually I kind of think looking back they make a lot of sense which is quite odd anyway I wasn't really that wasn't really a question that was more just like an observation but yeah, important point to make though that like all these little failures kind of I guess were like confluences leading to a bigger river that is now flows back. Uh-huh. I'm mixing a hell of a lot of metaphors in this episode. <laughs> Bill, no, my little it. brother who edits this is going to be like, "What 
the hell are you talking about? No, um, I love it. But hopefully I'm hopefully I'm making some kind of sense. I guess one thing to to ask you is and we're gonna dig in more to this whole subscription based model of pricing and stuff. So I don't want to touch that right now. But what I do want to ask you is why didn't you just freelance? I mean, why because a lot of people are like, should I be a freelancer? Should I be an agency? If you were still, you know, a freelancer, just you know, having done Webflow for a few years, you could, you know, be a very, very successful freelancer, right? But I guess what you've done is you've decided to focus on building a team and put more of your efforts in that rather than maybe becoming like the best Webflower. You're instead trying to grow an agency and trying to give other people their own, you know, skill set and and depth of expertise in particular parts of a client process. So I just wondered why you chose that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I've probably toiled back and forth about what I should have done, especially in the early stages of Flowsparrow. Like I could have been making a lot more if I was a freelancer for sure, because I was kind of like keeping the cost low for the agency to make sure everybody's getting paid and stuff like that. So for a long period of time, I wasn't making much. So that was in my head. I was like, should I have been a freelancer? Should I just done that or whatever? But my initial thought was I really wanted to be in a team. I like, you know, working with people and just like collaborating. To me, it gives me energy and I like that a lot. I also like the idea of creating something that's not completely reliant on me, regardless of, <laughs> to be honest, it still kind of is in a lot of ways, Flow Sparrow, but like, I want to eventually get to a point where it's not 100% relying on me to move things forward. And I think we're getting really close to that, which is exciting. But you can't really, it's hard to do that as a freelancer. I think you can figure that out when it comes to like when you grab your projects and stuff like that. But I don't know. There's pros and cons to both. I, I, I toil with it regularly, but I'm really happy we ended up wanting to build a team and an agency with Flow Sparrow. Tell me about failure number one, not letting go of control and t- trusting team members. Yeah. So I got like no formal background in design or computer work or anything. So when I started doing creative stuff, like I really had to push myself to figure things out. And I realized, you know, doing the best work possible is like essential to surviving. So I, I really had to push myself to do it. And I was doing that all by myself. And I was doing that for a long time where, you know, it would all be on me to get everything done and I would have to push everything forward. So when I like started Flow Sparrow, I really kept that mindset going and I would be like very like, no, I'll just do it. Or like, no, like I would give somebody a task, they would do it. And instead of like giving them good feedback and helping them grow, I would just be like, no, I'm going to do it. I'll just finish it. I still do that sometimes to this day because I just like it's easier for me to sometimes just do it. You know, like I guess the mode of being an agency owner is a lot different than just being a, a solo worker. It's like, you know, you can't just do it all the time. You need kind of like team members to do it and I need to be able to trust them to do it. So shifting from just doing it myself to trusting team members has been a big struggle for me as we're growing. But I think I'm like finally getting to the point of being able to let go on that front and trust people to let them to fail as well. Cause that's how I learned. And that's like the most important piece about, you know, this podcast and like what we're trying to do is like, you gotta let people fail. And I wasn't letting people fail. I was just doing it myself and fixing the problem. So that was like a big, 
I guess, failure learning port for me when it comes to flow spare, I was just trying to figure out how to like, let go. It's okay. If like things go a little wrong, like you can drive the ship post that, but it's good for them to have that failure and experience. So they know, you know, they can grow themselves, you know. How do you learn to let go though? Because this sounds great. And, you know, as much as people might be listening, like, okay, I've got to trust my team more, but like, how does that actually happen? <laughs> I don't know if I have a good answer for this because it's it's fairly fresh for me, but I think it's just not overly stressing about the outcome. When you trust a team member with a task and you need to be able to like give them the room to fail and the client needs to be able to understand, you know, if something is a couple of days late or whatever, because somebody did it wrong or didn't have an opportunity to, you know, do it correctly or whatever, they need to have the space to do that so they can grow. Whereas like with Flowsparrow and the subscription agency, like we would be shipping things so quickly. Like I would force myself and everything to get done. If somebody messes me in Slack, I go fix it immediately. And then people really like that speed and they enjoy that. But that only works when it's just me doing it. If I don't like trust a team to do it, it just doesn't work. So yeah, I'm trying to like navigate figuring out how to let go and just like be like here here's the thing trust it but i'm still figuring it out to be honest yeah i guess one thing is like it's hard to teach people what they should be doing without you knowing where they're going to struggle because i think you know there's kind of everyone talks about creating systems and processes you've got to have systems and processes when you're in an agency and all this stuff it's like well yeah cool but you, one, need to work out what your own systems and processes should be from your own mistakes so that you even know how to document them. And then two, there might be things that you don't even document because you don't even think that they're worth documenting or maybe just don't see as necessarily a priority in the system or process. And then when it comes to a particular person, they might be like, oh, I find this really difficult or like, I don't know, time tracking. They might just not do it because they don't see it as important as you. And you're like, no, 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 this is really important because and there's like things that you need to learn how people are messing up as individuals, even if you, you know, nail the systems and processes, you know? Yeah, I think it comes down to letting people learn their intuition. It's really hard to teach somebody intuition or, you know, creativity or, you know, how you would approach it. Like they need to determine that for themselves and figure out how they want to approach things. And when, you know, you're trying, you can't, I can't, you know, force somebody to think the way I think they need to figure out how to think they, the way they want to think and get to the end result. It might be a different way than how I do it, which is something I'm trying to figure out with, you know, trusting stuff is like, oh, that's not how I would have done it. So, you know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's how my head goes. As I'm talking about this, I sound like a, a crazy dictator, you know, almost. But to be honest, yeah, no, I just I thought it was funny. But like, to be fair, yeah, I'm I'm getting a lot better at trusting people to figure out their intuition, I guess. Hey, guys, just jumping in here to say that flow fest has been launched. The website is now live. So go to flowfest.co.uk to get yourself a ticket for the 11th of July. The 11th of July. So I have nothing to do with organizing this one, by the way, but this is Isabel Edwards, Ash, 
various other amazing humans that are involved. It's going to be a great meetup. Like Isabel is just awesome at organizing stuff and she always throws herself into stuff 110%. So well worth going. She promises loads of nice things. Three no-code talks, food, drinks, outdoor games, live music. I mean, this thing is taking meetups to another level. I mean, combining a festival and a conference is a mad idea, but it's going to be sick and I'm so pumped. So anyway, get yourself to Manchester if you're a UK-based webflower for the 11th of July. It's going to be it's going to be mad. If it's anything like the website, which is sick by the way, it's going to be like the best event of the year. So Yes, get yourself to Flowfest uh, website, copper ticket, see you on the 11th of July. Back to the episode. I guess it's like intuition, but it's also just, you know, you've hired them maybe because they're better in a certain area as well. Like, so suddenly it's like, you know, you, maybe your ego is getting bruised as well sometimes. Like I can, I, when sometimes I, not push back. Well, maybe push back. I don't know. But I say to my boss, hey, I actually think there's a better way of doing this. And they're and they're a bit like, okay, well, I'll think about that. And you're kind of like, have I offended you? I'm trying to help. But, you know, they might just be like, you know what? I'm going to think about that and get back to you. And I can just imagine them ending the call and being like, how fucking dare he? But, but no, I, I think there's like a strange ego thing. And there's, you know, someone who's actually just maybe giving you actually constructive criticism that's hard to take and then it's like well I was a freelancer basically and now I'm trying to let go and there's like yeah it's it's kind of a mixed bag of emotions and yeah trying to separate the subjective from the objective I guess yeah I think as a leader like you have a certain mode or a certain way of doing things that gets you to point a I think I'm at the point where we're trying to get to point b and I need to figure out how to like you know, let that happen. So my way of doing things isn't going to be the best approach always. And it comes down to the ego stuff and everything a little bit. I'm just like, I think about how it should be done, but maybe that not, might not be the best approach. So just letting go of that, letting people explore and try things, I think is the solution to get to that B. This reminds me of a book. I don't know if you've read it, The Making of a Manager by Julie Zhu, I believe her name is. It's a really interesting book. But she talks a lot about how different people have different personality types. And it's like learning how to talk, how to give feedback constructively and not just be like, this isn't quite right, but I'm just going to fix it without telling them. And you don't want to hurt their feelings, but you also need to respect the fact that they are the ones that need to do the job. And it's a really fascinating book. So I recommend it to you and anyone else that's listening if, if they're trying to kind of navigate all this human interaction stuff because it's hard it's really really hard okay let's talk about failure number two subscription versus project based the meaty one yeah this one's juicy go for it what do you think what's the failure what are your thoughts on this let's hate on brett from design joy no i'm joking <laughs> yeah okay so yeah i have tons of thoughts on this and i just want to preface it by you know kind of leaning into something we mentioned earlier is just figuring out what works for you like there's tons of different models tons of different pricing 
tons of different like you know freelancer agency there's a whole bunch of different things it's about figuring out what works for you and leaning into that and i think that's what this failure is about is because i found something that was working and i tried to shift based off maybe advice or thoughts that i heard from other people about how i should approach certain things so that's the kind of subscription versus project based stuff that we'll get into a little bit but yeah let me just give a background on flowsparrow so we started as a subscription agency like i mentioned we started at like 900 bucks a month or something like it was extremely cheap. I remember I shared it on the Webflow Facebook group and I got ripped to shreds. Like people were just like, this is impossible. How are people, how are you doing this or whatever? And it was true. It was kind of impossible. Actually, to just a caveat, it was 900 bucks a month for unlimited, whatever you want, unlimited design development. And I think that was the point that people got pretty offended by it. But I really wanted to figure <laughs> that out because- Something I noticed with marketing and some of the freelance stuff I was doing was like, people don't really like the scope creep. People don't like like the friction that comes from being like, oh, we didn't do agree to this. We didn't do this. I really like the idea of just like, hey, you pay us this much a month. We're going to do whatever whatever you want and we'll get it done and we'll make you guys happy. And that's the way it is. And it's it, it's worked really well. So we started at 900 bucks a month. We worked our way up started doing you know three right now we're at like three grand a month for a standard package five grand a month for a premium package looking to increase that in the future but i had a moment last year when we were redoing our current website and i was kind of trying to think about okay should we stick with the subscription or should we try to do more project-based stuff because i hear all this talk about you know everybody when you listen to interviews with people i'm sure you had a couple conversations about this in in your podcast is like project-based is the way to go because you know, you're, you can kind of price on the value that you're providing versus, you know, and just make extra money in that regard. Like you can kind of like, you know, make good money with that approach rather than just like an hourly or like a subscription thing. So we were like, okay, should we go to project based? Cause we're getting a lot of project inquiries. And to me, it was a failure because I wasn't just listening to what was working and our current retainer model was working very well. Every customer was happy. We were making good money. Everybody's getting paid well. And the route's going and everything's working good. But then I kind of wanted to shift and try something different and go to project-based things or project-based pricing. So we tried that a few times and we just noticed like more and more often that we really liked the subscription thing. Project-based comes with like, you know, the proposal the scoping, the strategy, like all this stuff, all these steps to plan it out. And then, you know, we're thinking about it. We're like, okay, well, we charge 10, 15K for this project. But this other client who had a similar thing, you know, they just topped on for 5K a month and they'd been with us for six to 10 months. You know what I mean? And it, it was kind of like a weird thing where I was just like, oh, like, I don't know why I'm messing with what's working. So to me, it was like a little bit of a failure that I learned from. And I was like, okay, now I'm, I think in this next iteration of Flowsboro in 2024, like we really want to double down on just being the best possible agency for this type of work where we're just focused on retainers only. And we're just focusing on making you the best possible site imaginable, working with you to determine strategy and thinking about marketing as an angle versus just like, you know, we'll build the project for you, hand it off, and then it's done. Okay. So 
What I love what you said there was you were talking about the relationship-based advantages of having retainer or subscription-based pricing. You realized, one, to, you know, off the background that you have and the skill set you have, you are actually very competent at marketing. And you know, for a website to be successful, it's not just design and build, bosh, ship it, you're a millionaire. Like there's, that's just the start once that's designed and built. You know, then it needs to be iterated upon depending on, you know, if you're using tracking tools or, you know, conversion metrics and stuff. And you're looking at like, oh, actually, you know, this design maybe isn't compatible with the goals that this client wants to achieve. And we can work with you over a longer time frame to work that out. And it sounds like you really enjoy getting to know your clients. Like there's there's some agencies that are more like one and done type people that are just like all right get them in get them out but it sounds from what you've just said there that it's like it makes sense that you want this model from the perspective of just human interaction and you know working with a team over a longer time frame to you know maybe achieve longer term goals so i think that's an important point to say because i think this whole retainer versus project-based thing maybe doesn't bring that angle into the conversation nearly as much as it should. Is that fair? Yeah, that's totally fair. And yeah, I think there's pros and cons to both, but something I believe, I can't remember his name, but he goes by Search Historian on Twitter, but he had a talk at Webflow Conference about like a website not ever being done. And I firmly believe that in a lot of ways, like, you know, just, I, I feel like when you do a project or you're starting a new website, you're literally just guessing what's clicking with customers. You're just determining a copy. You're trying to do a strategy. You're planning it out. You're thinking through it a little bit. Um, some people are obviously a little bit better at this than others. And like, you know, you can determine a really good process to get a really good end result, but you never really know how it's going to perform until you put it in front of customers and they start using it and they start, you know, signing up or downloading your resources or, you know, going through the book now or whatever, like flow you want them to go through. So like to me, you know, a website is like never ending. It should be like, you know, analyzed heat maps. You should look and see how people are using it and then change things based on that, mold it and like, you know, tweak it and kind of work with, you know, the Webflow team or designer team to like implement these changes and just do it on an ongoing basis, iterate, change copy, you know, and grow. Especially with these fast moving like startups that we're we're prone to work with, you know, like they're just changing things so much like their positioning is changing like almost every quarter. Like they're just, and they're just trying to figure it out. And we like to be that guide with them. Be like, okay, yeah, let's try this. Let's try this route. We suggest this. Maybe try this. And I really enjoy being that partner and like working with them in that regard because it's it's really cool to see them grow alongside us. And yeah, like I mentioned, you get really good relationships and everybody's happy. Yeah. And I guess like, you know, the more successful they are focusing in on that particular group of people, you know, startups, no startups, and it makes their a kind of flywheel effect because the more success you have with them, I, I assume, you know, the more you've got great case studies, the more you've got contacts within that same area. And it's kind of like, it's like a no brainer to sign up to a subscription with you because it's like, well, we've got the result like this is an investment not a cost and we charge what we charge because we do good work if you want to sign up sign up if you don't don't like it's as simple as that whereas 
I think sometimes there's this kind of we make beautiful websites thing and without really knowing kind of what's the like what are the results like yeah yeah you know i can see you make beautiful work but in my head like are all these animations helping the business or you know making the the ego of the client satisfied yeah yeah so yeah i think it's a scale like obviously there's lots of projects that need that really high-end design touch because it's that's what the product calls for and that's what the value they're bringing is like high-end experience and obviously that ties to the website but you know to me when you're a designer you need to really think about you know the output as well like you know making sure that they're getting a proper product that is delivering on the thing that they're trying to do and it's easy for designers to just focus on the design like that's just what your skill set and you can make it look pretty and you know make something you want to share but you got to find that middle ground that's functional effective and looks pretty as well bingo yeah. yeah if anyone's gonna dm me on twitter after seeing this episode and be like fuck you jack i make designs that are pretty and people <laughs> pay me for it and they deserve to pay me for it that's totally cool i'm not trying to say that that's not fair but just like keith just said i, I think there's got to be a balance just like anything totally um, agree. okay cool i'm i'm expecting a lot of hate for this comment so that's totally fine hit me in the dm if you want to shit on me hit me too um, Keith, can I ask you, you, no, you, what you said is totally reasonable and fair. Maybe maybe it's not on my end. So let me ask you a little bit about the financial stuff. You just said there that, you know, someone that signs up for 5k a month is going to stay with you between six and 12 months on, on average, which sounds great because obviously you can have not only great results in that time, but, you know, it sounds like generally a lot better from a pricing standpoint than maybe like a, a project-based pricing. Am I right? Did I hear you right when I'm saying those numbers back to you? Yeah, yeah. Like it, it's it's a it's an interesting thing. Like I think you could have clients that are paying you 5K a month and you're getting to do maybe a page or something a month and that works out. That's really great. That's really profitable. But then sometimes they come in and they need, you know, 10 pages and a whole resource thing they need it done in the first month or whatever so the scale can vary and sometimes it's less profitable in one month and more profitable in another month but what i noticed over time is a lot of clients just stick with us long term like we we have very little churn any clients that we've parted waves with were mostly on our end because we just weren't jiving so when they come in that's great we do a lot of stuff usually for them in the first couple months like we just bang out we'll do we'll rebuild your site we'll like go through and format every blog article. We'll like go through all your link redirects. We'll go through and clean up all the classes and stuff. Like we'll just do a lot of dirty work to get your project up to snuff. And they really appreciate that. And then they kind of usually like to stick around long-term because of that. And maybe there's months where they got a really big initiative where it's kind of crazy and they want to do a lot. It's, it's a very ebb and flow thing, but then, you know, sometimes there's just a month where they don't even, contact you and you still get you know your retainer so it's a great thing to have for like long-term longevity as an agency it's just like recurring income and if you find the right clients it's awesome you know there's lots of downsides and stuff as well but from the financial side of things it's it's great and it's it's just like a maybe a more like we're we're boyfriend and girlfriend versus like just dating where like project based might be dating and you just go on a date and you just hang out and then you part ways but 
we we go in long term and we invest into their success. I wonder what you were going to say with that metaphor, but yes, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> it's like wait, long term partnerships does sound like stronger for you for what you want. Some people like monogamy. Some people like polyamory. You've got to decide what's best for you. There is no right and wrong, people. That's a completely different podcast, though, Keith, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, let's move on swiftly to failure number three, burnouts and side projects. Hey guys, just jumping in here to say that the web flavor of the week is Zeke. That was the best web flavor of the week little intro I've done. He says, hey Jack and Jess, this podcast is so vulnerable and honest. Couldn't come at a better time as I'm about to start a new role next month. As designers who are listening, we feel less alone. A thousand thank yous. Fan from Singapore. Zeke, that is one of the most lovely messages I've seen on Twitter. Because I think this whole idea of freelancing and freedom and, you know, being able to do what you love and stuff and and be creative and move shapes and stuff and design and develop is really exciting. But it, it can feel quite lonely. So it's really, really nice to hear that you feel more connected and that you're less alone because, you know, other people are going through the same problems you are. So awesome, awesome to hear. If you haven't listened to Jess's episode, she drops some really, really valuable advice all about leadership but also setting boundaries and i guess just becoming a better designer and developer like you know how do you take feedback how are you an empathetic human that can give and take advice so anyway give that one a listen if you haven't already zeke thanks so much for writing that comment as always feel free to write nice things and make us feel good about this whole web flail project thanks so much Back to the episode. Yeah, yeah, I could speak to this. I, I've always just tried things and failed at a lot of things. I'm very interested in a lot of different things. I'm like a dog chasing cars when it comes to ideas and like businesses and stuff like that. I just get really excited about different things. Like right now, I'm just excited about AI. What's going on over there? I was in a period where I was really excited about automation. Right now I'm in a period where I'm excited about, you know, clothing. And previously I was excited about helping creators and freelancers and stuff. Like I just like have tons of ideas and what I think would be cool to try to put out into the world. So I'm always just trying to do something on this side. I think actually my long-term goal is to just have a couple companies. I like the idea of just, you know, being able to explore different things based on my interests and maybe splitting my time up between different ideas because sometimes, you know, focusing on one thing can be a little draining and I don't really get to like explore my creativity as much anymore within Flowsboro. Like I'm just like running a good business and everything's working well, but I need something on the side to just have some fun with. So I think what I'd like to do is just try to explore stuff, try to build community things. And then what happens is, is like Flowsboro gets busy and I have like these side projects that you know, maybe I made some promises to people or like I started some stuff and I got some things lined up and then I just hit a wall and I get burnt out and then I just can't do anything. And then I kind of break myself and then I just repeat that process. I think I've done it the last two or three years where I would just like get excited by idea, build something, put it up, ship it, 
and then just like kind of hit a wall and I'm like, okay, I can't do it because I'm just like burnt out and I don't have the resources to do it. Basically, I, I like looking at a big plate of food and I can't always finish it. Very hungry. Is that a failure though? Or do you think that's... Because, okay, here's my theory, right? I think there's a lot of people in the Webflow space that are very tech savvy that see opportunities because they're constantly working with other businesses where they have problems and you can fix them and you're naturally in that kind of mindset. And then you see, you know, AI and there's all sorts of different stuff happening at the moment. You've got the Webflow app marketplace. Everyone's trying to, you know, create a Chrome extension or whatever. And there's like so much opportunity that it's kind of like this paradox of choice where these people who are super creative, tech savvy, can build stuff, can design stuff, are just making stuff. It's like crazy right now, which is incredible. And let me underline that point. I think once you are someone that starts stuff easily and can break, you know, break past the self-sabotage of like, oh, should I put this out there? Once you can do that and you've done that a couple of times, then it's like, whoa, opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. I'm going to start, 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 start. But then I think there comes a point where it's like, you know, once you're going in five different directions, you're kind of going nowhere long term because you literally can't like your attention is so fractured that's one way of looking at it i think on the other hand though it's really healthy start things and explore different directions and and you know some things are going to stick some things aren't but you're you've kind of got moonshots almost i think jeff bezos talked about this in his um he has these really interesting uh letters that he sends to uh his investors and they're they're public. Like it's quite interesting to read what he's written to investors. And he talks about Amazon having loads and loads of moonshots. But the but the key, the major thing that they do is paying for the moonshots. And it seems like Flow Sparrow is like your Amazon that's paying for all the experiments, which in my head actually sounds kind of healthy. Now you've called this a failure, but I don't know. I don't. I just think this is an interesting idea to like pull apart a bit because yeah. a lot of the time people are like, "Whoa, you shouldn't do so many side projects." But I'm like, "Hold on, maybe there's some benefit that we're not actually talking about as much as we could." Yeah. No, uh, this is super interesting. I think I don't think starting the ideas this is a failure. Like, I really like putting things out there, seeing what sticks, and seeing what connects with people. And to me, that's fun and enjoyable. I think the failure part of it is, first of all, not giving the ideas enough energy or capacity to actually let it see the light of day, which is more of a personal thing. But I think the bigger thing that I find a failure is like sometimes I burn myself so much that I neglect my responsibilities because I was chasing those ideas. And that, you know, responsibility is Flow Sparrow. We got like three people outside of me that have, you know, bills that I need to pay. They're all like on full-time, you know, wages. And to me, if I'm just like, you know, over here playing and having fun, but I burn myself out so much that I can't work on that flow sparrow, I think that's a, a thing to be very mindful of and a, a failure. And things that I've done a couple times, or I've done that a couple times, I would say, is like I burnt out where I just need to, to take a couple of days off. I couldn't even do anything. You know what I mean? Hit, hit a wall that was so aggressive. <laughs> It's just like, oh man, I can't do it. And that's happened to a few times. So I think that's a failure. But like you mentioned, though, I, I really like, I think it's fun and healthy to explore. And I think it actually makes me a better manager, operator, owner at Flow Sparrow with these experiments, which just me having fun is because I 
have something that I enjoy that's on the side. I do enjoy flow sprout, but it's it's tough and I, I need a little bit of play. So those two things balance out for me really well. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I'm glad we kind of dug into that a little bit and clarified it because what you're saying is the the side projects, doing side projects, starting stuff, starting so many different things isn't necessarily the failure. The failure comes by one, neglecting the major thing that I guess pays for these experiments to even happen because you've got a team, you've got people outside of just you that you know you're responsible for. But then two, maybe starting so many different side projects is the problem because you can't actually like fully fulfill those and your time is so fractured and let's now talk about remote supply the most recent moonshot what is happening there because i feel like we've got to give that some give that some airtime. if you're listening to this podcast i am looking at keith who's wearing the remote supply hat he's got about 500 hats behind him on a shelf <laughs> talk to me about remote supply yeah, dude. I mean, this is definitely like a just a purely fun one for me. And I didn't put any, you know, pressure on myself to just hit certain marks with this. I'm really just trying to get something out the door, have some fun, get people some hats mostly. So remote supply, I, I really want to start with hats. I love hats, as you can tell. Like I just always wear a hat. Would never have guessed. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of <laughs> big fan of hats. So I've always kind of wanted to do something in that space. And I kind of just think it was, you know, maybe five months ago, I was just like, yeah, I kind of, I do this weird thing where I kind of look at domains and I try to like, I just type in words and I find domains and handles or whatever. And that almost sparks like a, like a side project idea. And that's exactly what happened here. I put in remote supply into Twitter and I found that handle and I was like, oh, like this is actually kind of cool. And I really like remote work, remote culture. And I really like the idea of just building something around that. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I could just start that hat brand idea that I was thinking about with remote supply. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just, I like work with a manufacturer in China. I'm just like getting some samples. That's what half of these are is just samples. And I just last night got 350 hats delivered to my house. I was going to say, I saw a picture on Twitter where it was just like boxes. And I was like, damn, this is a bigger operation than I thought. Dude, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you've, got, you've gone in. Uh, yeah, I definitely maybe swung a little too hard on that. Normally, when you start like an e e-commerce store, like you just kind of do like a printful thing or like do some like drop yeah, shipping like, something. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. but I, you were like, no, I'm going to go in. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why I wanted to go in and the reason why I want to get products here is because I really like a great unboxing experience. So whenever um, you kind of get some cool product, project or product, sorry, when you open the box up and there's like stickers and there's like a cool like, you know, tagline and there's like some logos and stuff like I really like that whenever I buy hats or like buy clothing or whatever. So I really want to try to make that experience. And I think the only way I was able to would be able to do that is by buying in bulk and then just doing all this stuff in my apartment. By the way, I'm in like a one bedroom apartment, small, like it's tight in here. Outside of this frame, it's just like boxes and like a bunch of stuff. Like it's kind of crazy in here. Like I might need to upgrade for this setup i don't know what i'm doing but i'm having lots of fun doing it i think that's the most important piece right now i'm just working on the shopify store 
going to try to get it up by, I don't know, December at some point and start shipping out hopefully 2024 sooner if possible. But there's a couple things I need to figure out. And the main point I want to make is that I don't want to like force myself or push myself too hard to get this stuff out really quickly so I don't burn out. I'm trying to just be a little bit more mindful of that with this one. Purely fun. And just trying to get some people some hats. So, Jack, you got one coming your way, buddy. Hey. <laughs> hey. I'm thinking about all this stuff a little bit as well because I've got some pins and stickers that I've printed from a company called Slingshot. Sl- shout out to Slingshot. That's really hard to say quickly. But, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about all of this stuff as well. It's kind of like a passion project that's got a bit mad. And it sounds sounds kind of similar, if I may say. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> At your end. Uh, but... I mean, at least it's, you know, just, just in your flat, you know, you're not taking over everyone's life with, with hats, you know, coming out of their living rooms and stuff. This is coming back to the point that we made earlier about side projects that don't necessarily affect everyone else's life negatively too much, hopefully. It sounds super positive, man. It's nice that you've not put huge goals on it, because I think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to make something work and if this doesn't work within three months time period then it's a failure and i'm gonna shut it down or whatever but it sounds like a kind of yeah low risk low risk thing that you really enjoy doing that you're not pushing it doesn't have to succeed for it to be a success if that makes sense yeah for sure i think the thing i really like about this side project venture is like it feels a lot more natural to me to just design some stuff and have some fun like playing around in illustrator or Figma or whatever. Whereas like the project I was doing before, the Div Dive, which was like a newsletter, podcast or whatever, it took a lot out of me like energy wise. And that's when I ended up hitting a wall. It's like I was just really pushing myself to get content out and put do newsletters. And off the back of that, I just want to say, I really appreciate what you're doing, Jack, because it's extremely hard as somebody who's tried to do something in that world it's very difficult to keep consistent with content and do newsletters and come up with this content and like prepare for interviews and like gather questions. Like you and Emily were definitely big inspirations for me trying to start that podcast. And I want to give you kudos because I I know firsthand how hard it is. It's very difficult. And yeah, just kudos. You're killing it. Oh, thanks, dude. I very much appreciate that. It is it is hard, but I think, yeah, it's worth doing, as a lot of hard stuff is in the long run. It's I, I love it, even though sometimes I'm like, ah! <laughs> Final question. What is your next failure going to be? Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't actually have one. I don't think I'm planning to have failures, I guess, but... Actually, it's a fair point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 like I mentioned earlier, maybe I, I don't really think of them as a negative thing. So I think for the future, like I'm just going to keep exploring, keep failing, keep iterating, and just learning from those experiences. And there'll be a lot of failures per se, but I think it's, I, I like to think of them more as experiences. That's a wrap. Thanks so much to you guys for listening. And thanks so much to Keith for coming on the podcast and sharing so vulnerably and generously there. So the biggest takeaway that I want to focus this conclusion on of this episode 
is the fact that subscription-based models is not necessarily right for everyone, but it might suit you dependent on the type of relationship that you want with a client. Now, one thing that Keith said that I thought was so interesting there is that he wants to work with fewer people but have a deeper relationship with them. He wants to help people over a longer space of time because he personally gets fulfillment doing that. He thinks that he can provide value to his clients through doing that, and it really suits him. But no, he didn't necessarily just say, well, you earn more money and you earn more money and you earn more money, which is what I think a lot of people seem to be saying online when they talk about retainers, um, or at least maybe trying to sell the course for their retainers. Uh, But I think it's just a really interesting point of view that's like you can actually have a deeper relationship with your clients and if that suits your personality type you know if you like working in a team and and like actually helping people grow and develop with you um then that's quite an interesting proposition which i haven't actually heard before and i think that's a really really nice way of looking at it but it's not like you need to focus on subscription based product model or you need to focus on the project-based model is that you need to work out what's best for you and maybe dependent on the industry that you're trying to focus on. Startups, as Keith says, seem to be changing their messaging. They might need a new landing page. They might need new things as they kind of iterate and develop very quickly. And as a result, it makes sense to have a retainer-based model for that industry. It might not suit every model, though. So it might not suit every industry, though, is what I meant to say. So interesting food for thought in this episode but i just think it's worth highlighting that um you know depending on your personality type and the kind of the goals that you want from your work maybe subscription-based model would suit better versus project-based or not but interesting to consider next week's episode we have an absolute corker for you and i'm very very excited to have the south african janae kotzer on the pod keep seeing her on twitter and i'm thinking hmm she's doing interesting things let's get her on so she's coming on the pod for the final episode of 2023 which is wild to say so i just want to say a massive massive thanks to all of you lot for tuning in listening and helping us get to 2024 in a good shape in a great shape lovely listeners lovely sharing from people i just appreciate you guys and it's really nice to think that we are trying to help trying to help and hopefully helping you guys with your webflow endeavors that's a wrap loads of love have a great week web flavors.